Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the Give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. All right, this morning we're going to continue this series called Translucence, where I'm, I'm, I'm having a little fun looking at the quality of light coming out of your life. If the Bible says in Matthew that we are the light of the world, okay, I don't know how often you really think about that. When you walk out of your house, when you walk into your workplace, when you walk into your schools, do you understand that you are the light of the world? Like you have a purpose. You have a, a purpose of being, and that is to shine light into every bit of darkness that you come into contact with. It's amazing, in fact, really in the church, oftentimes darkness is sort of talked about like it has some kind of power, it has some kind of way over you, but you need to hear me. You are a light on a hilltop casting light into the darkness. You are a light that's in a room shining light uh, into darkness, and that light is the light of life. You have the life of God in you, which makes you the light of the world. Let me give you some strong encouragement. Light is not intimidated by darkness. That's silly. Light is not at all insecure at all about darkness. Right? Light can see darkness and light's not worried about darkness because darkness is simply the absence of light. <laughs> it's not a thing. It touts itself as a thing. It pretends to be a thing and it's not a thing. It's the removal of light. So when you come into a room it's less about standing up against the darkness, and it's more about your light infiltrating the darkness and filling it. You can do that with your life. You get to choose that. You get to choose to invest your life in such a way that it invades darkness and brings life. It's incredible what God has brought us into. You remember that part where the Spirit hovered over the darkness, right? Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit's hovering over the darkness. Does God say, darkness, be gone? <laughs> No, he says, let there be light, right? He doesn't say for something to be gone. He, he introduces something. He brings something into play. Let there be light. All right, so look, whatever dark place you feel you're in, whatever, whatever part of your life right now feels like there's darkness, it's hard, it's heavy, I can't figure it out, maybe it's shame, maybe you're dealing with some condemnation or guilt, whatever it is, as you sit in this, this, this intersection of transparency and grace, you need to hear me say it, you are light, and light, the light of life is within you. Whatever peace you are missing this morning, I encourage you, be encouraged and be convinced by your Father in heaven, not by me. Listen to him this morning as he encourages you, okay? Look, we've been addressing some stuff over these past few weeks where we're, we're trying to look at things that, that may keep you out of his presence. Like there are things that are actually causing you to be intimidated by him. Now, many of us have had this thinking undone, but if you haven't, we've talked about things like the sacrificial system, forgiveness, uh, the lamb, all these different concepts that really were all talking about Jesus, the law. You're not under the law, you're under grace, Look, the law, really what it exemplified or gave to you as a picture was how the father and the son, the security of their relationship is what the law showed. There was never going to be any concern for any of the things on that list. <laughs> and so really what God shows is the law was a shadow of the good things to come. Really what he was showing was is that you can have the kind of relationship with God where you can fully trust him, no insecurities because you have that kind of relationship. 
What an incredible thing. Like you and I, I, I know we're so used to this. So we, oh yeah, a relationship with God. But you got to remember at this time, as we read these words today, this was a new concept. The idea that you could be in God's presence. Look, for some of us today, we still don't even take advantage of that. <laughs> you get to go sit with God and he'll speak to, about the, everything that you're dealing with right to you. Not through Javen, not through somebody else. He'll just talk right to you. Like that's how amazing he is. And it gives you this incredible peace of mind. All right, but what about these mistakes that we make? What about these sins, if you will, that we make? And we're going to talk about this this morning, the difference between sin and sins, okay? The idea behind a nature issue or a state of being and then these little issues. Because Paul would argue about some of these things. He'd say, man, I, I get it. Like, I, you still see these mistakes. You still see these things happening in my life. And yet he wants to convince you that they are all before you, that Jesus saw all of these things already and took them upon the cross. He's going to demonstrate that, and we're going to look at that today, because if we see things the way that he does, it will bring to you a peace of mind. I encourage you this morning to look for areas of your life where you don't have a peace of mind, and you will find something that you're believing that's not right. Something's off. Right? If you right believe, if we believe rightly, you'll find peace. You'll have this peace of mind. All right, maybe you're the kind of person that's worried about the small print. You know, maybe you've heard these past couple of weeks and you thought, that sounds really good, but what about when I make a mistake? What about, like, is there some fine print somewhere where I can, I can lose all of this wonderful stuff that he's given us? No. In fact, what the gospel reveals is God was always for you, always. Even in your worst moment, all of your sins were before you. He knew all of that stuff. He saw it on the cross. You're just now seeing what he already saw. <laughs> he knew about it, and he said, knowing all of that, I love them, and I, I call them as my own. I want them as my own. Now listen, this is where I, I want to get a little personal, because this is where it gets personal. God, if we have his life and he sees us that way, guess what? He's given you the ability to see things that way as well. Oh, how often do you capitalize on that? How often do you capitalize on a sight that other people don't have that are in the world, that you have? You can see things differently. He says that you can look at people not after what you see, not after their flesh, not after their mistakes, not after all of the good things and the bad things. You can see people the way God sees them. Do you? Do you look at people that way? Do you look at the people you love that way? Do you look at the people you can't stand that way? Because that's how things actually are, by the way. This is not real, in case you were wondering. And some of us said, hallelujah, amen. Um, <laughs> but it's why we can live at rest even when our life is a total mess. It's why we can be at total peace and rest even if the government doesn't resemble what we personally believe to be or true. Look, I want to make this a little personal this morning. I don't mean to offend anybody. But I saw, I saw an article this past couple of weeks that said, if you are a black person, do not pray for President Trump. You should not do that. It, it really, that Christians, you, you should not be telling people to pray for him because of his actions and things believed to be. <laughs> okay, this was written by a Christian. This was written by somebody who was saying that, look, I know what the Bible says, but let me, let me, let me talk about this for just a second because this is troublesome. You know when God said to bless those who persecute you, that wasn't for his sake, right? Like, he, he's, not, he's not looking to go, I'm going to see if you bless them. No, that wasn't the point. He, everything that God gives us is actually for us. <laughs> it's for us. If you want peace of mind, pray for your enemy. 
You want peace of mind? You want to be able to sleep good at night? Bless those who persecute you. You can do that because of this life that we have within us. And we wonder why we don't have peace. We wonder why we're, we're miserable. Well, do the things that don't make any sense. They're counterintuitive. Who in the world would pray for the person who's persecuting them? Well, nobody on earth would. And yet, that's exactly what God did, isn't it? He did more than just pray, by the way. He laid his life down for us. And you know what that did? It brought him great peace. <laughs> he was at peace the whole time. The Bible says angels were even involved. The Bible says that angels showed up and, and shouted out to everybody that he was at peace. He stepped into the arena, and I encourage you to do the same. No, pray for those who are persecuting you. If you believe they are persecuting you, pray for them and watch as you experience peace. You'll feel at peace. Look at what Jesus said in John 8, 15. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. That life is in you. You don't have to look around and judge anybody. You don't have to judge according to the flesh at all because he didn't either. <laughs> he didn't go around doing that at all. No, in fact, he provided for us a brand new way of seeing. He became sin. He became sin. Let's talk about that. This is where the, the, the crux of the gospel really hinges in some ways. Look at this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going we're to spend a little time in 2 Corinthians for a moment. And look at this, this thing that he did, this gospel that he presents to us that's not like this world. We don't get our advice from this world. We don't get our leading from this world. We get it from him because he has our best interests at heart. Look at what he says. Therefore, Paul says from now on, verse 16 of chapter 5, we recognize nobody according to the flesh. Everyone, nobody, presidents and otherwise. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You know, we once used to think that humanity was all there really was, and then there was God. And Paul goes, we were wrong. <laughs> We now see that that was just the first step. The first step was this thing, but there's something greater that came. So Paul says, because now we've, we know that, that death is not the final say, then why would we look at everybody after the flesh anymore? Like, we already know what this thing does. We already know where it's going. He says, we can go ahead and skip this, and we can go ahead and start looking at things with a heavenly view. You can begin to look at people the way God does, which is good news, because it means that God doesn't see us the way that we see ourselves sometimes. Look at verse 18. All of these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their law-breaking against them. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. God made peace. Catch these three things that you just heard. All these things are from God. God was in Christ. In other words, he wasn't alone up there on the cross. God was in Christ so that he could commit to us. <laughs> these three things are all in there, and they're all things that God did. There's nothing that you did in there, which is awesome. He did all of these things, and then he gave it to you and said, Here, I've made peace. Now, take this peace into the world. Take this peace everywhere you go. Take it to every dark corner. Take this peace. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Imagine God begging you. That's what that just said. Be reconciled to God. 
He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God is begging. That messes with everybody. (laughs) What? It's God. Yeah, and we don't get him. (laughs) He wants us. So he makes an appeal through us and says, I've made peace. Won't you receive my peace? Won't you step into peace and out of the darkness? Won't you come into light and into this peace? So Jesus became sin. Now, unfortunately, if you live in America and we speak English mostly and we have, we have this word sin, right? And we hear it only as a verb. We hear it as something that you've done, okay? All of us are this way. I mean, you just hear the word sin and it's like, oh, what did I do? What did I do? It's, it's the first thought. But every, word we're, every time we're reading scripture, generally the word sin is a noun. What you're reading is actually a noun, not a verb. To give you an example, in Romans, okay? So we're going to look at some Romans chapter 7 in just a moment. In Romans, as we read this word sin... The word sin is mentioned 48 times in Romans. Of those 48 times, 46 times it's a noun. (laughs) Two times it's a verb. Does that shock you? Because it shocks me. Because the way we would hear it would be the other way around. Is that 99% of the time we're talking about sins, things we've done. So it's very difficult, and you'll see that as you read Romans 7, it can be very difficult to read Scripture sometimes because we just keep hearing behavior. We keep hearing behavior, oh yeah, stop doing that, stop doing this and start doing that, and we're not talking about that as much as we are a state of being. There is a state of being called being a sinner, and there is a state of being called being a saint. One is dead, one is alive. They're very different, and it's very important that we understand that as we read. The easiest way to understand is is there's a sin nature and a divine nature, as Scripture tells us, and we have become his life, which means we have become the very nature of God. We've become the very nature of the divine. We have the divine now running through us. Like, I I know that feels shocking, and you may look at yourself and go, man, I feel like I should look much better than this, Uh, and we'll get to that, (laughs) but that's the case. That is what's happening. Here are your two words. Let's take a look at this together. Remember, as the same way that darkness is just the absence of light, sin is the absence of the divine. (laughs) Once you have the divine, there's no sin. Like you've, you've eradicated the issue because you're now a part of life. Let's look at this together. Here's your first word, hamartia, which means sin. And it's a noun. And it means having no part in having no part in life, having no part in joy, having whatever you want to put in there. Having no part in is what this means, and it's really, in my opinion, dealing with a state of being. You are a state of being called a sinner who has no part in blank. Fill it in. You have no part in life, essentially. All right, the other word that we see twice in Romans is this word, hamartano, which means sin. That's why it's confusing. And it's a verb. And it means to error causing eternal loss. <laughs> One mistake is all it takes for eternal loss, right? If you want to talk about behaviors. That's why I believe God doesn't talk a lot about that. He deals more with this noun issue because you want to deal with the root cause, not all of the fruit off the tree, okay? You want to get down to the root. So let's talk about that root in just a moment. But look, this is very, very important because as some of my friends say, well, you grace people must not read the book of Romans. Well, We do. It's just that we understand nouns are different than verbs, okay? I don't say that to be too... 
I, that sounded very arrogant, and I don't mean it that way at all. I, I'm just saying, in other words, it is tricky. <laughs> I, I humbly say it's tricky, and I, I was there too, okay? So please reread Romans. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> I'm going to get hate mail now. <laughs> I mean love. Um, let's skip ahead, shall we? Okay. <laughs> all right. So he became this, this state of being, and this is why it's important. If you went to bed every single night and thought to yourself, well, I got to make sure I get all the different fruit of this sin tree, right? I got to make sure I confess every little sin and every little thing. And you hear the words that Jesus became sin. You're thinking, oh, yeah, he became my porn addiction. He became my whatever. Okay, that's the fruit on the tree. <laughs> now, the root is what he became. And this is why it's so powerful and so interesting is that he gave us a brand new nature, as we just read. We're new creations. You're something divine now, completely made new. And the law, this law that was given, you got to understand, it will never bring people to Jesus, like not in the way that we think. We think that the law, like if we're under the law or we put the Ten Commandments up on the wall, that that will cause people to follow Jesus. Like I, I remember hearing that argument my whole life. If we put the Ten Commandments in the schools, then the kids would, 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 would follow the Lord. Uh, no. What would probably happen if you just read what the Israelites did is you put the law in front of your face and you're going to go, cool, I can do that. <laughs> and the moment you say, cool, I can do that, you're not trusting God at all. You're not relying on him. You're relying on your effort. And so instead, look at what we, look at what we have instead. It's not that we condone sin. It's that grace teaches us something that the law couldn't. The law couldn't teach us what grace can. Look at what grace teaches us in Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from how many things? Every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You and I have the same life within us that Jesus has. And he's teaching us all the time. The Spirit of God is teaching us all the time what it means to walk as light on this earth. It takes some time. But it starts with an understanding that you are not condemned. You will never be doomed to destruction. You never need to fear going into God's presence, ever, Look at what Jesus said in John 3. This is the very beginning of what he was doing. And he says, look, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe has already been condemned because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is not about your little mistakes that you make. This is not about the little things you're going to do tomorrow and 10 years from now and all of that. This is about the big issue. <laughs> This is about the state of being that all of us as believers once were and no longer are. You do not have a sin nature if you are a believer. Please hear me say that again. You do not have a sin nature if you are a believer. And yet, many believe that's the case. We believe we have these two natures that are wrestling with each other, and there's this sin nature, and then there's this divine nature. And a car can't have two engines. Like, you, you, you can't run this way. You only have one nature, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 7 in a moment where it seems to say that we have two natures, and we'll talk about that. But remember this, just because you sin doesn't mean you have a sin nature. You understand that? It's a state of being. 
in the same way that just because you do something righteous doesn't make you righteous, right? You can do a righteous deed, do a good deed, do a loving deed. It doesn't make you righteous. That's a state of being. So we have to remember that we, we need to change states of being. Look at what Paul says. Paul goes, look, this will give you great peace because in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Man, it's supposed to be this way. Quit pretending. <laughs> Quit pretending like you've got it all together. Quit pretending like it's all perfect. No, you have an earthen vessel. There's going to be days where it's chipped. There's going to be days where it, it needs to go back and get fixed and things break off. How many of all that handles fall off of stuff, you know? Why do the handles always fall off? Anyway, uh, you know, but, but this is the way that it is, is that we have this earthen vessel where we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but you know, we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And we're always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. There's something happening in this vessel. It's dying. <laughs> it's not shocking. It's dying. And Paul says, you know what's really cool about that? He goes, what happens is, is the older you get, as that pot begins to wear out a little bit, it starts to crack and fade and all that. He goes, what you begin to see is what's inside. <laughs> You begin to see, he says, that as you begin to cross over, what people are actually watching is the life that was there all along. Now they see it. Now they see it manifest. You know, our dear friend Marie, she went from, from breathing here one moment to standing with God. Like there was no intermittent time. There was no wandering. It was instantaneously to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. She was with him. She stepped into that life. So there's something that's happening here. Let's look at this together. As we'll kind of start wrapping this up. Brooke, if you want to come on up. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7, if you want to turn to that for just a moment. Because you might say to yourself, well, Javen, I hear what you're saying, but what about these mistakes? What about these things that I do? What about that guy I hurt yesterday that maybe I should go talk to and make it up to him? Paul begins to write his brothers, and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you guys something that it's a great mystery. I mean, really, it's a great mystery that many on this planet still to this day do not understand. And that is, is how we can see things in this way. We can see things totally differently. And he's, he's writing to believers or, or those that will believe, and he's writing to them and he's saying, you've got to see things differently. I'm, I'm speaking to people who are under the law, he says. Okay, so remember, these are people who are under the law, not you and me. This is other people. Again, going back to last week, when you read the Bible, remember to catch the audience, okay? Here we go, Romans 7.1. Or do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. This is very simple. But he says, listen, you guys understand the law that if you say, I do, it's until death do us part. And those of you who are under the law understand this. He's trying to build to a point. He wants to show them ultimately what we're going to see in chapter 8. But if you're under the law, this is going to be so tough for you because you're going to constantly see these things in your flesh and you're going to think that what God did didn't work, that what God did wasn't permanent because, look, I, I still see stuff in this jar of clay. <laughs> There's imperfections. So he goes, listen, the first thing you have to understand is you have died. <laughs> You're not in the same marriage anymore. You're not married to the law anymore. In any way, that you, would you go back to a dead husband? 
um, no, don't go back to the law. The law is dead. It's not applicable to you. Chapter, or verse 4. Therefore, my brothers, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. That's life. For while we were in the flesh, for while we were in the flesh, again, he's trying to get them to see something, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in something new, a new life. Again, he's writing this because we don't want to let go of it. We don't want to let go of the law. We want to say, yeah, but, but this is how we become more holy, or this is how we become better Christians, or this is how whatever. No, it's not. It's toxic for you. It involves a dead person. That's who it was meant for. Verse 13. Well then, is that which is good a cause of death for me? Is the law bad, basically? No. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin, affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. And he's not talking about your porn addiction. He's talking about the sin nature. He's talking about it was utterly sinful. Paul says that when we looked at the law, what we saw was there was something working within us to bring us to death. You couldn't see it before the law. Didn't understand why was I dying? Sin. This nature that's unplugged from life, this nature that has no life within it, has no source, leads you to the same place every single time. Verse 17 says, so now... No longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. He became sin. He became the worst of the worst so that we would become righteous. It's no longer me doing it, Paul says. But when I apply the law to my life, if I look at my life through the law, what do I see? But I see sin, and I go, oh my gosh, look at this. It's, it's still there. I, I don't understand. I, th I, I, thought I, was, I thought I was good. Well, he keeps on going. But before we get to that, skip over to Colossians real quick, and you can just stay there. I'll just put it up on the screen. Colossians 2, verse 10. Listen to what Paul writes to the Colossians. He goes, look, you've been made complete, and you have had a circumcision made without hands. Right? The, the reason why he's writing in Romans 7 the way that he is, and he's, he's talking about this to, the, to those who were under the law, it's because they would have understood circumcision. They understood this thing that they had to do, the cutting away of a little bit of flesh. There's a promise with God and a covenant and all this stuff. This was all a shadow of what was coming here. Here is what true circumcision looks like, and it looks like this, the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I know it's weird. I know you look in the mirror, and you're like, I still see it. I don't get it. But look at what that looks like. Having been buried with Jesus in baptism and raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It was you coming into new life. That moment you believed and you prayed that little prayer or maybe you had a little thought in your head or you saw a cloud go by and you said, I believe in God now. Like whatever that moment was for you, okay? It doesn't have to be some big magical moment. Something incredible happened in that you were circumcised. The whole body of flesh, all the things that were broken, all the things that you hate about 
the things you've done, all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your condemnation, all of that was joined to Jesus on the cross and it died. It was circumcised from you so that when you celebrate this new life that you have in Christ, oh, it's not about all that old stuff. And by the way, the old stuff is still stuff you're going to do tomorrow. That's old already to God. So all of that stuff is now gone. And look at what he says. And we'll look at what Peter says. Or uh, we'll, we'll skip on to Peter because that sounds good. Peter goes, for by this he's granted to us these magnificent promises that we have become partakers of the divine nature having escaped corruption. Paul ends this chapter of seven by saying, who in the world will save me? If I'm going to look at my life through the law, who could save any of us? And he says, oh, thanks be to God. Thank you, God. We didn't ask for it. We didn't know we needed it. And you brought life to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, as we close, the band can come on up. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Spirit, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Peace. There's no condemnation. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ. You will never be doomed to destruction for all of eternity. You will never have to worry about wanting something from God or begging God for something. Like he is coming to you with everything you need. He gives you all the things you need. And then on top of that, he blesses you with gifts and gives you everything. <laughs> he lets you partake in his nature. Oh, we don't like to think of ourselves as like God, that sounds like blasphemy or something, and yet God goes, no, you're like me. <laughs> I made you this way. Welcome to the family, child of God. See yourself the way he sees you, and you won't have any problem walking into his presence and saying, hey, Dad, boy, I saw that thing that you saw 2,000 years ago. I just walked straight into that, and I blew it, and I really need help. And God's like, I'm glad you came. <laughs> Let me help you. Father, we love you so much. Lord, I thank you for the peace of mind that you have given us, that we never have to wonder if we're ever going to be in jeopardy again. Lord, we never have to wonder or doubt if we can ever come into your presence. We never have to wonder if there's some sin that we forgot. Lord, you ripped the whole tree out of the ground, and you gave us a new seed of life. Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves as trees of life, Lord, in this world, and that our fruit would go out into the world, Lord, to bear more life. So, Lord, bring us to peace. Lord, during a year of just nonsense, chaos, 
bring peace. We receive that peace right now in Jesus' name.